And welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. I'm your host, a very tired Mary Kay this morning after a disappointing loss by Parramatta last night against the Rabbitohs, but we'll get to that later in our NRL segment. This morning in the studio, I've got my friend Kate Allman, a sports fan and a journalist at the Law Society Journal. Good morning, Kate. Hi, Mary. How are you going? Very well, thank you. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. A bit devastated after last night as well. But, but I know that you're a Dragons fan, so that you would have been very, very happy after Thursday night's result. Very happy. What a great game. What a great game. We'll get to that a bit later as well. But first, I thought we'd have a bit of a flick through the paper and see whether anything was happening. My favourite story this morning in the Daily Telegraph is one about James Graham from the Canterbury Bulldogs. So he's playing his 100th game this week. And what a lot of my listeners might not know is that James Graham is a very superstitious player. So the article goes through all these superstitions that he adheres to prior to any match day game. So, for example... As he's driving to the ground, he'll always drive with a hot water bottle behind his back. And as soon as he gets to the ground, he'll fill up that hot water bottle again. A couple of other things. um, He has to go for a swim in the rock pools every morning on game day. And he has to drink his coffee at the same cafe, have the same pre-match meal. He'll never run onto the field during a game. He always walks and then he'll always go across to clap the fans. Wow. Now, Kate, I know that you play a lot of sport. Tell me, do you have any pre-game rituals or superstitions that you have to adhere to? Uh, Look, I did used to have a pair of lucky underwear. Um, That kind of expired after high school, after we lost our grand final in the uh, first hockey team, Oxley College in Barrel. So I realised the lucky underwear maybe weren't as lucky as as I thought. thought. Um, But look, you know, every time I play a sand-based turf hockey game, I play field hockey and some some, uh, pitches are water-based and some are sand-based. Um, and sometimes, you know, if I'm really in, in the zone for the game, I sort of, um, I think I'm a bit Russell Crowe gladiator and I pick up some of the sand and rub it together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really, but it would be funny if I did. That's very cool. Maybe that can be your new pre-game ritual. Well, like, that, I'm in... going to adopt it, I think. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Yeah. I like that. You'll have to send us a little video so that we can upload it onto the Ladies Who League. We'll start a whole list of superstitions that our panellists adhere to. But um, very exciting for James Graham. 100 games. Congratulations to him. And he's just, I think, a very inspirational leader. He's a divisive character, I think, in the rugby league community in that he's very fiery and very passionate. But you hear the way that his teammates mates speak about him and I think he's just an outstanding captain. Such a leader, yeah, definitely. And Michael Leisha, I think, made a great comment that um, you know, when he gathers his team together in a circle, everyone listens and I think that's another mark of a good leader. Mm, absolutely. Russell Crowe-inspired... Russell Crowe inspired <laughs> podcast this morning. Well, Kate, let's leave it there because I want to come back and talk rugby league. So we'll have a quick break and come back shortly. For anyone watching last night's rugby league game, you would have seen the Parramatta Eels go down to the South Sydney Rabbitohs 22-20. And if you're at the ground or listening or watching on television, at the ninth minute, you would have heard this. What 
what you're hearing there is the entire crowd at Parramatta Stadium standing up and giving our previous hooker, Nathan Peets, a standing ovation and, and chanting, Peetsy, Peetsy, Peetsy. And Mary, for you who've grown up with the blue and gold Parramatta Eels, you know, it's running through your blood, um, how do you feel about the, the Pete's situation, how it, uh, Wednesday he just had to up and leave to the Gold Coast? I was in shock, to be honest, Kate. So a lot of people had been asking me, do you think it's Nathan Peets that's going to go? And this was on Wednesday afternoon when there was a lot of speculation. And my response was, no, I, I don't think it can possibly happen because, you know, Ian Schubert had said Parramatta will be salary cap compliant by Friday. And I just couldn't fathom in my mind that a player could be uprooted from our team in the space of 24 hours and have a deal signed. And that's exactly what happened. The media started reporting on Wednesday night that him and the Gold Coast were negotiating and then by Wednesday night it was a done deal. And Nathan Peets and his very young family, he has a partner and a young son, 12-month-old, they've been uprooted and essentially are moving to the Gold Coast. I, I can't understand and it was really hard as a fan base because Nathan Peets has been inspirational for us and one of our favourite players. And to lose him so quickly and to not have the opportunity to say goodbye, I think a lot of fans felt quite helpless and it's really just another nail in what's been a very, very painful two weeks. Yeah, he was put in a really tough position. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so I think as well it showed the courage and the class of Nathan Peets. So he has shown absolutely no resentment towards the fans or his playing group. He came out and said, I now know that NRL is a business. And that is the sad reality. And I think often as fans we talk about the importance of loyalty and how our players should be loyal to the clubs. Well, this situation simply demonstrates that it really is a business and the players really do need to look out for their best interests as well because clubs are going to do the very same. And for players that have, you know, maybe a 10-year career maximum, they've got to absolutely maximise their earning potential in that 10 years because, you know, who knows what they'll be doing after football and who knows when their careers will be cut short. Absolutely. It's gut-wrenching for the Eels. How do you think they felt after such a tight game and so close... Um, coming away with the loss last night. Uh, so there's a picture of Sammy Radradra on the back of the paper this morning and he's just, he's collapsed. He's on the floor, he's spent. Uh, he's one of our best players and scored three tries last night and was very, very impressive. He looks shattered and he just looks exhausted and I think that's largely how the playing group will be feeling this morning because we did have a strong lead going into the final 12 minutes of that game and, you know, South Sydney came back and scored two tries. But I continue to be impressed by the playing group and by Brad Arthur. So there was a lot of speculation about that final try and the, and the pass that was thrown. A lot of people said it was forward. Um, I sort of feel that refereeing is one of those things sometimes, you know, sometimes a call will go your way and other times it won't. And Brad Arthur came out and made no criticism of the call and said, look, we were noble, we were gallant, but we just weren't good enough on the night. And full credit to South, who really did come back. And Greg Inglis's move to 5-8 was, I think, an inspired decision. And I think a lot of South fans will be wondering why they didn't move Greg Inglis there sooner. Sure. Do you think that the Eels can come back this season? I'd love to think that they could. I think it's going to be very, very hard. Uh, the reality for me, I think, was that last night as a fan base, that was our opportunity mm. to rally behind the team. And we got a good crowd. I mean, it was 16,000. 
but it's only going to get harder from here. I mean, our next game is at, is with Melbourne uh, on a Monday night, so the crowd should be smaller. I'm not sure how the playing group is going to feel. I'm not sure how they're feeling after the loss of Nathan Peets, who was one of their mates, one of their friends, one of their close teammates, and, you know, he's now disappeared. Um, so we'll see. I'm not sure. I, I'd like to have high hopes, but we'll see. 12 from 14. Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, it. no. 12 from 14. No, that's exactly right. Um, we'll see what they can do. The other thing that I wanted to have a brief chat about as well this morning was fan reactions to the Parramatta Eels, so fans of other clubs. It's been very interesting on social media because obviously Parramatta fans are venting their frustration and how upset and disappointed and sad they are. And other club fans are coming out and saying, well, we don't have any sympathy for the Parramatta Eels or their fans. And I completely understand that position because the reality is that my club has cheated the salary cap and we've done the wrong thing. I don't want sympathy from other fans. What I would really like, though, is a little bit of empathy because football and our club as fans is so important to us and it forms such a central part of our community. And to have a club rocked by a salary cap saga of this nature has been absolutely shattering. And Eels fans have had precious little to cheer about for the last 30 years. We haven't won a premiership in 30 years. And in a year where we were finally looking like we were turning a corner, we've been rocked by a scandal which has really impacted the fans and the players. And they're the ones that haven't done anything wrong. So if you're a fan of an opposition club, we'd really, really love a little bit of empathy because if this ever happened to your club... I'd like to think that Parramatta fans would be gracious enough to perhaps show you the same. The same. Uh, so that was that game. And then we stop can move. Stop before I start crying. Yeah, stop before I start <laughs> crying as well. But then we had a really exciting game on Thursday night. Now, I have to be honest, I didn't actually see much of this game because I was still at work. But there were a couple of interesting things to happen. Now, Kate, I don't know whether you saw, but... There was a chance that the game was going to be called off because of darkness. That was that was bizarre, wasn't it? I've actually had that situation. I, you know, playing field hockey, we often play at night and mm-hmm. we have those big lights on. I've had the same situation and the lights have um, gone off in the middle of a game. Someone's shot the ball at the goal and I don't know if you have a, held a hockey ball, but they are hard and yeah. they can do some damage. Someone hit the ball and we plunged into darkness in the oh, middle of a game. No. And I'm talking the whole field, not just half the field, like, happened so we were all someone screamed we were all freaking out and that was a quick end to the game but um in that uh, in the in the football it was so it was fascinating that you know in this day and age that we can't get some lights up and going for a you know first grade match yeah there was a power outage and there were concerns that the players wouldn't take the field and some lovely mood lighting I believe characterized <laughs> the first 40 minutes of that game it took me back to like the 90s when I was growing up do you remember the band five yes so I remember that yes. song like baby when the lights go out I don't know why that was sort of flashing through my mind <laughs> during that game the other thing was Jared Croker um Jared Croker's 25 years old and during that game he became Canberra the Canberra Raiders highest ever point scorer mm. so He's overtaken David Ferner, who previously held the record at 1,218 points. The thing with Jared Croker is he's just 25, so... Amazing. Such potential. Absolutely, and he's got a lot of time to accumulate more points. So Mm. um, congratulations, Jared Croker. What an achievement. Definitely one to watch. Absolutely. And then we had Blake Austin and his broken nose. Did you see the footage of that? I didn't. What happened? So there was a high shot. Joel Thompson put a, a high shot on Blake Austin and sort of Blake Austin sat up and he had blood streaming from his nose. So... We've got Jared Croker, we've got no lights, we've got blood bin, (laughs) 
And then the final five minutes. Kate, tell us what happened. Amazing. So this is where I walked in after hockey training. I rock up, turn the TV on, and we're in golden point time. Um, and that's that's the part that I saw. And I just saw, you know, levels, scores. Um, in golden point time, it gets so exciting because everyone goes a bit nuts and it kind of goes back down to touch football or, you know, schoolyard footy. And, um, yeah, we just – the Dragons snatched the intercept and that was it, game over. It was great. It was game over. And congratulations to Ewan Aitken, who was absolutely the star of the, the, star of the evening. He scored those yeah. points after the, the siren had gone during golden point. I think you had to really feel for Jake White, for Jack Whiten, who threw that pass. But um, mm. speaking to friend of the podcast, Dennis Carnahan, who's a Raiders fan, and his view sort of was that it's one of those risky plays, and if it mm. if it could, if it had come off, he would have been the hero. But on that night, he just wasn't destined That's to be it. that way. You've got to take the risk. It's schoolyard footy and golden points, so anything goes. Absolutely. And Ricky Stewart, I think, said it best when he said, "We beat ourselves again." Joining us live to talk some AFL from Melbourne, I've got Christy Williams, a journalist from Girls Play Footy. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, guys. How is everyone? Very well. How are you going? It's very good. It's a beautiful day in Melbourne. Oh, it's a beautiful day in Sydney too, so hopefully that means it's going to be a beautiful weekend. Oh, that, that would be great. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd love that. Now, Christy, my first question is, can you tell us about the opening rounds of the AFL competition and who your biggest surprise teams have been so far? Well, I think, I think everyone can agree. It's been a very topsy-turvy season for both NRL and AFL, but we can see it's very surprising to see Fremantle winless uh, down the bottom of the ladder. I think people predicted that they might slide this year, but to see them slide quite so heavily is um, probably pretty worrying for the Purple Haze supporters. But obviously GWS, and, and then for better news, GWS has been absolutely great and are, and are putting their name forward perhaps for a Premiership tilt soon. Well, Christy, it's funny actually because Kate's having a little bit of a giggle in the studio because <laughs> when you started talking about GWS, I'm actually a GWS fan. So I'm absolutely delighted at the way they've started the season. They had a great win over Fremantle last week, their first ever win at Domain really? Stadium. Mass- it's, ma- it's massive to go over to Perth, but particularly for a young group mm-hmm. um, of, of boys to go to go over to such a stronghold and such a dour defensive side that Fremantle have always been and, and to beat them in the way that they did is, must be very heartening for a GWS supporter. Absolutely. And, I mean, we've now won four in a row and this afternoon when we play the Suns, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll go for five in a row. And we've been winning those games by an average of 56 points. We've been scoring 132 points. It's a very exciting time to be a GWS fan at the moment. Absolutely, and, and all the stuff that they're doing to engage the community off the field I think is really exciting too and, and a reason why they are where they are and Gold Coast are where they are, I guess that it's a, it's a, it's a testament to, to the organisation off the field and I guess also the coaching panel and the players obviously, but it, it's, an exciting, it's an exciting club really. Christy, I've got a question. Um, who do you think is going to be their biggest competition? What are the games to watch out for with GWS this year? GWS? Well, I, I definitely think that they've shown against Hawthorne uh, that they can match it with that style. Although Hawthorne definitely weren't their best, um, not to take yeah. anything away from GWS. But it, it'll be really interesting to see how they go against the Western Bulldogs and against a faster a faster style of play, which is, tends to be how GWS play as well, and see if, if they attempt to slow the game down or 
if they get caught up in the, the emotion and the momentum of the game, I think that's what will be really interesting to see how GWS cope with a more frenetic style pace from the other side. Mm. And obviously Bulldogs are probably similar position to GWS, a young side who are going probably over what they what they should, but look, that'll be a really exciting game for everyone in the AFL, not just the fans of the respective sides, I think. Christy, another thing I wanted to have a chat about was that this week in the media, there's been quite a lot about AFL teams wanting to expand and have netball teams. So that's in the context of a new netball competition that's going to be launched next year. There are talks that Collingwood and the Melbourne Storm are in the running to field a new team next year. And also the Giants are talking about exploring an alliance with a second local netball team for next year. What are your thoughts on that? I hadn't actually heard the Giants rumour about that, so that's good. Mm. That's great news for them. Due to the, like, they've already had the association with the Auburn Giants and the women's AFL. That's right. It's really, it's really exciting to see um, it, football and netball clubs for, for Australian communities all over, particularly in rural areas, are the, are the lifeblood of a, of a kind of country town. The football and netball clubs, are, are just the culture of it improves everyone. So I think that's really exciting that it's even being brought into a more corporate and kind of city context. And I think it's a really, really smart business decision from both clubs, but also really exciting that women's netball, women's footy, women in general are generating enough interest for CEOs to see this as, as viable and an exciting prospect. So it's it's really it's really interesting, and I'm sure New Zealand aren't too happy about being shunted out of the new um, netball league. But it, it's going to be a really exciting development for netball and the football clubs. I think. Well, I mean, Christy, if GWS have a netball team, not only next year will I have the Giants men's <laughs> team to support. It's looking likely that I'll have a Giants women's team to support and a, and a netball team. I don't know how I'm going to have any time. <laughs> Are you going to need to buy a different outfit? Like, are you going to need to buy a netball outfit to um, support them in? Or? <laughs> oh, I think so. <laughs> a quick change in the middle of the day. Yeah, the absolutely. <laughs> and Christy, can you give us a quick update on anything that's happening in women's AFL this week? So we've seen a lot of clubs put their bid in and the talk from the AFL is that they will be announcing which teams will be given the licences by hopefully the end of May. Yeah, so the, the, I guess the big debate... Um, and it's a constant, the age down here is actually it's very surprising every morning when I pick it up and open up. There's now always at least two articles about women's footy, which is Woo-hoo! very strange coming from, <laughs> so great. very strange coming from token media that's usually only, a, you know, a few centimetres long. Um, but, but the big debate and it's continuous development this week, both the CEO and um, St Kilda assistant coach Peter Searle, who's a, the first, um, first female to coach in the AFL, uh, uh, talking about how many teams. So Gillan McLaughlin wants uh, eight teams because he feels like that's um, where the talent base is at enough to generate enough interest, but not so much that, you know, it, it's not generating interest because of the lack of contest, whereas Peter Searle just wants as many teams as, as possible. So for me, having seen the, the talent base around, there's not enough talent for 10 teams. Mm. And while it might be exciting to have that many teams, it, the contest would be very lopsided. The, the talent would be spread far too thin. Um, so it would be interesting to see what the NRL, uh, the AFL do with that. Um, it looks like it'll probably be eight teams, but the, I think the buzz, the media buzz and the, the business buzz seems like it might. they might even push for ten teams, but 
for me, that would be a bit of a mistake and just a bit too far at this stage of the game. Yeah, I think it's probably better to do you know, to have eight teams, eight strong teams, and have talent to fill those eight teams rather than trying to stretch. There's always absolutely. an opportunity to grow. So I think we, we start with the absolutely. right amount and then hope that it grows. Yeah, and I'm sure absolutely. It will. And I think cricket cricket is the blueprint mm-hmm. and under promising and over delivering, and that's what you probably want to do. You don't want to over promise and under deliver. So. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see, and it's continual development, which is and so you can always read about it online. Or yeah, it's really exciting for, for people at the moment. Which is great. And Christy, can you tell us a little bit about Girls Play Footy? Yeah, so basically we're, we're pretty much the only independent news um, outlet for uh, for girls footy, and we do both youth girls, open girls, state leagues, elite kind of the elite games, and we've got features and match reports every week and. So you can you can look at us online at girlsplayfree.com and touch base with us on social media. But we also do commentating with the VFL Women's League every Sunday. Um, and in fact, this weekend we're doing both Saturday and Sunday. Um, so you can have a look on girlsplayfree.com um, and have a listen to us uh, talk a bit of banter about about footy. And it's a, it's a pretty fun kind of commentary uh, uh, atmosphere, I guess. But yeah, have a look for us at girlsplayfree.com or um, you can download the TuneIn app and search for Girls Play Footy and have a listen to us. Another topic that's been in the news this week is the results of an independent inquiry into the death of former Australian cricket player Phil Hughes. Uh, so the results of that review have been released and they found that nothing more could have been done to have saved his life after he was struck by a cricket ball in the neck during a match in November 2014. I still remember that day and, and just how shattering that was. Christy, what are your thoughts on this? Um, well, it's, it's, it's a pretty emotional. Uh, as a member of the Australian Cricketers Association, I know we've talked about it as a, as a players union. That's a pretty shattering time, but um, it's, it's really important that good things can come out of um, bad and that we can learn and continue to grow um, as a game. And, and it looks like it hasn't, even if it, it may not have prevented that accident, but hopefully it can prevent any similar accidents um, that might happen in the future. But, yeah, it's, pretty, it's still pretty shattering and pretty raw for any, any cricketer, but it, it's good to see that, that they've put the effort into really, and, and you know, appointed a Queen's Council to overlook it. it it's, it's a good, good development, I guess. Absolutely, and I think that what was so shattering about the Phil Hughes incident was that I really did see it as just a horrible, horrible accident and one that I hope that we never, ever see repeated in the game of cricket again. Absolutely, it was a terrible accident, something that happened a million times a game, a bouncer and not even a particularly quick one. It happens to all of us, you know, we all bowl them, we all face them and it's pretty... It's always in the back of your head now that things like this can happen, I guess, which is a bit worrying. But as you said, yeah, just a shattering day, I guess. But at least they've now made some really important mm-hmm. um, changes in, in, as well as the, the DFib, making sure that that's at all games. And, and hopefully those net guards that are now on the helmets um, give another little extra layer of protection, I guess. And the newly mandated helmets as well, which are now compulsory um, in all games run by Cricket Australia. And the same, it goes not only for for the batsmen, but also for the wicket keepers that are standing right up to the to the stumps as well. Yeah, and we've actually seen in the last few years a few bad injuries um, from wicket keepers. We've seen Mark Boucher several years ago um, almost lost the sight in his eye when he got hit 
So I know that I play with a lot of young cricketers that are, that are made to wear helmets and they're forced now as wicket keepers, even though they feel uncomfortable, they think, well, it's better be safe than sorry. And I, I actually started wearing a helmet for the first time after this all happened and it's actually, I think my parents are feeling a lot happier about me playing cricket now with a helmet on, but it, it's really important, particularly for young players coming through, but also that it could happen to anyone. So I'm really glad that they've brought those, um, those things through now. So, Christy, you, when you played cricket, how often would you have been hit in the head like that? Like, it's such a freak accident. Uh, absolutely. Well, I've never been, I've never been hit badly. I, I think the only time I've been hit is, um, I've kind of hit myself, if that makes sense. It, it's come off, it, it's sure. come off the, I, I've tried to hit it and it's edged up it's and hit me in the face, but I've never, it is a bit different in female, in female sport. There's, there's, there's not, there's not the pace and there's also not the bounce. So it is, you kind of have to either hit yourself. Um, mm. And I have fielded in close as well and not worn a helmet and been hit a few times. And I, know, I distinctly remember being hit by Alex Blackwell in the, in the face while fielding about a metre away from her. But um, <laughs> it's not something that happens very often. But as my dad said, um, he, his generation didn't have a choice. We have a choice now. We have a choice to wear that technology and we have a choice to keep developing it. So we need to take that choice so that freak accidents don't happen. Yeah, I guess. And Christy, I just to finish on a, on a happier note, I thought we'd end the cricket segment by all giving a big cheer to Charlotte Edwards, captain of the English cricket team, who announced her retirement from English cricket this week. Uh, she's played in the English side for two decades and made her debut as a 16-year-old, becoming the youngest player to score a one-day international hundred when she was 17, and over her career has scored more one-day international and 2020 runs than any other player. How amazing! Oh, she's just an incredible player, but even better, she's just an incredible person. I was very, very fortunate to play one game with her um, for Gordon in first grade cricket a few years ago now, and she preempted. She preempts everything. She knows what's going to happen before it happens, and she's such a. She's kind of, kind of, quite eerie being with her because she's just so impressive as a person. And I think the thing that's really exciting about her is she retired just playing just as well as she did when she started. It's pretty incredible, and, and what a shame for women's cricket that she's going, but congratulations to her. What an incredible career. Perfect way to end the segment. Thank you so much, Christy. We'll talk to you again soon. Now for my favourite segment, Mary's Mix-Up. First up, we have Steph Curry, who was named NBA 2016 MVP by a record-breaking unanimous vote. In the season, he made 402 three-point shots, which was a record, and he led the Golden State Warriors to an all-time best 73-9 record and just caps off a tremendous season for Steph Curry. Also wanted to shout out to Jacob Hooper, a GWS giant who'll be making his debut against the Suns this afternoon. Check out the giant social media because they've got a video of him calling his parents to tell them that he was making his first his debut and it was pretty special to watch and just a, a really delightful football moment. And the final thing I wanted to mention was that the second Invictus Games are underway in Florida. So this was the idea of Prince Harry and the concept is based around the fact that sport can play a significant role in the rehabilitation and recovery of wounded, injured and ill-serving and former serving members of National Defence Forces. So Australia has sent 40 athletes over to the US um, and there are 400 adaptive athletes from 13 other nations to compete against. But 
it's not so much about what's happening on the field as well as tremendous stories of sportsmanship. So a good example was a trainer from the Australian powerlifting team stepped in to help the lifters in the Afghanistan team because they didn't have a coach. Congratulations to all the medal winners as well. Darlene Brown became Australia's first ever medal with first medal winner when she scored silver in the lightweight powerlifting event. So good luck to everyone competing in the Invictus Games. And we are coming off the back of a very successful touch football trans-Tasman tournament with this year's series seeing the first clean sweep win by our Australian Open teams, so in the Australian men's, women's and mixed divisions, and we defeated New Zealand nine games to nil across the three divisions, which is incredible. We're lucky enough to be joined by Lizzie Campbell this morning, captain of the women's team. Good morning, Lizzie. Good morning. Hi, guys. How are you? Very well. How are you going? Good, thank you. Very good. Now, first things first, before we congratulate you on the win, the last time I spoke to you, you were getting ready to travel to New Zealand for the Trans-Tasman Tournament and stressed how important it was that you take your hairbrush with you. (laughs) Did your hairbrush make it to New Zealand? It did. It definitely did. Oh Unfortunately, it, um, it it took the place of my deodorant. So <laughs> my roommates were forever lending me, me their deodorant. So, yeah, but I remembered the hairbrush, yeah. Well, at least you remembered the hairbrush. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Now, Lizzie, congratulations <laughs> to you and the girls' team who won all of their games. You must have been absolutely delighted. Yes, so excited. Very. It was a lot of hard work, but um, you know, it's good to see all that hard work paying off. And not only winning the series, but winning at three nil is really special. Absolutely. And for those of our listeners that haven't played touch football before and don't know much about the game, can you explain? Give us an overview of it. Pretend I've never played touch football before. Uh, okay. Uh, it's pretty much exactly like rugby league. Um, but obviously there's no tackling, it's just touches. So you get basically get six touches um, to score a try on the sixth one. It's a changeover, and every time you get touched, you have to roll the ball between your legs, and there's a dummy half. Um, another difference from rugby league is the dummy half can't score, so um, they can run through offside lines and do all that sort of stuff, but they can't score tries. And, yeah, it's basically... Um, no forward passes. Um, if you get touched and then pass the ball, that's obviously not allowed either. And, um, yeah, it's whoever scores the most tries wins. What I think I found the most interesting, Lizzie, about touch football is how quickly the players interchange. So the games go for 40 minutes, but I know that a player yeah. won't usually spend more than, what, a minute on the field at once? Yeah, probably... Um, it depends on what position you play, but yeah, probably about a minute, and then um, you've got as many rotating subs as you can as you want. So you're basically just subbing all the time. Um, obviously, I play in the middle, so I, I sub a lot more than other players, and because I'm not as fit as anyone else, I also sub a lot quicker. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a very fast-paced game where um, you really have to be able to give those short bursts of quick energy, and then come off, recover quickly, and get back on and do it again. And Lizzie, can you tell us about your highlight of the tournament? Uh, my highlight would probably be, I've thought about this a lot um, in my reflecting of the tournament, but it's probably how proud I was of the debutants. Um, we had seven of them, so seven out of 14 players um, or 16 players we took away. It's, it's quite a huge amount. And um, the debutants we had, I suppose, in other teams uh, leading up into this, they, they were probably sort of played the role of the attacking players or I, I guess like, you know, the, the main 
the main players in all the teams that they've been in before. Um, but coming into this team, you know, they, they took on the role of working hard for everybody else and they really worked into the team better than I ever could have hoped for. And um, they did just amazing. So that was probably it. And um, personally, probably I scored the first, the very first try for our team. So that was probably my, my little highlight. But yeah. Well done, Lizzie. And your most improved player of the tournament? Uh, most improved, I'd say probably got a young girl, Ash Carney. She plays on the link. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, yeah, this is she was a debutante and um, the way that she worked hard for the rest of the team and her work rate in defence was just phenomenal and I play with her at a club level as well and to see her step up like that into our team um, was just amazing. It was a really proud moment for me and definitely Ash has gone from level to level in the last year and definitely improving the most, I think. And Lizzie, while I could sit and talk about the women for the rest of the morning, it would be remiss of us not to mention the men and the mixed teams as well who also won all three of their games. Did you get much time to watch the men's and the mixed teams? We did. We um, we sort of watched the first half of every mixed game because obviously we were after them and we were um, lucky enough to be able to watch the men's after us. And... Um, they, they've they also got new captains of their team, Nick and Cameron. Mm-hmm. And so it was really great to watch them lead their teams to a 3-0 wins as well. Um, the men's, I think, won all of their games by a fair few tries. But you could tell that their, their attitude towards the game was that they were going to obliterate them from the start, um, which was great to see. And the mixed had more of grinding games. They won by one, I think, every single game. And um, to see them fight like that, it was actually really inspiring because we got to play after them. And um, so to see them win by one and um, in the last minutes of the game sometimes, it was great, great pump up for us for the game to come. No, that's great, Lizzie. And, and what I also really enjoyed was Touch Football's social media presence while you were all over there. I loved seeing <laughs> the photos and the videos. Can you tell us about Ben Moylan and his interviewing of players? <laughs> what was the segment called? I've forgotten now. I think it's the Ranger Report. Yeah, I was going to say Ranger Watch. Or, yeah. yeah, let's go with yeah. Ranger Report, shall we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a character. I um, was actually lucky enough not to get interviewed <laughs> by him because I feel like I would have got stitched up really badly. Um, but yeah, he's definitely a character, and he's always lifting the spirits of not only his own team but the whole cohort. Um, he's hilarious, and but I think overall the social media. Um, it helped us keep in touch with, obviously, the people that couldn't come and watch us play. I think touch is, like, Australia's kind of a bit touch crazy. And, you know, you look at the people interacting with the social media back in Australia, it was really, um, really nice to see. And it was good for building our confidence, knowing that we had all that support back home. So social media, the, the development of social media is just doing great things, especially for touch football. I might have to get Ben Moylan in here to interview me um, and, and see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have a yeah, bit of fun. Yeah, I bet it would be hilarious. <laughs> and now, Lizzie, tell us about your life away from touch football and, and what you do when you're not playing footy. Um, so I'm a school teacher. I, um, I've only just graduated from uni last year. It took me a little while to find my calling, I think. But, um, yeah, I'm a primary school teacher and... Um, I absolutely love teaching. I love my job. I love working with kids and, yeah, and I play a little bit of tennis. So I play tennis probably twice, sometimes if I have time, three times a week. 
And, um, yeah, that's about it. And, Lizzie, did the school do anything for you before you went? They did. Mm-hmm. My school has been absolutely amazing. I, um, I actually have only been there since about week three in term one, so I probably worked about, I don't know what that makes it, 12, 14 weeks or so, and they... Um, they actually put a big announcement over on the school assembly and got all the kids to clap me and um, congratulate me on firstly being captain and um, all the kids love it because they're just so into touch and stuff and and then they actually put up a big sign outside the school saying good luck and um, the same thing happened when I returned. I walked into my office and I had a big congratulations poster with balloons and um, and they announced it on assembly and put it in the newsletter and yeah, it really makes a big difference having that support at work and um, it's just been amazing. They're great. <laughs> and Lizzie, have you had any increase in the uh, number of touch games going on at lunchtime in the schoolyard? Had to collect any balls from across the road now? Uh, <laughs> I actually, um, I all of my duties or all the time I spend in the playground is with the young kids, <laughs> the preps and the year one. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, but I don't actually get to go and do... Actually, I say it's fun stuff, but I actually love working with the little kids. But they're always chucking the footy around, and usually I'm wearing a dress, though. <laughs> so all the boys just think it's not like... They're, they're not really into me, like, joining in with the footy and stuff, but I do try and, you know, kick the ball around and that when I get the opportunity. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah... Great. And Lizzie, yeah. what's coming up next for Touch Football? So now that the Trans-Tasman is over, what are you next looking forward to? Uh, yeah, so we've got um, State of Origin, mm-hmm. which is humongous. Um, basically in, I think it's the, the 1st of September or so in, in Sydney, um, we've got State of Origin and that will actually include our, basically our whole Australian team versing each other. Um, we've we've only got one girl from Victoria that plays in our Aussie team, and she's actually playing for New South Wales. Just got announced last night. So um, yeah, so that's a really big um, a big thing. It only comes across every two years, and we actually lost the last one, which was absolutely devastating for me. So yeah, look forward to getting into the trials and getting into training and um, competing in that. And also our our club competition will start up pretty soon. So. Yeah. Well, fantastic, Lizzie. We'll have to get you on again soon to have a chat about State of Origin, but congratulations on the Trans-Tasman. We are so, so proud of you. Well done. That's another show. Kate, thank you so much for coming in and joining me this morning. No worries. It was great fun. Anytime, Mary. No, I'm glad you had fun. Is there any particular game that you're looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Swans game tonight against Richmond. I'm a bit in love with little Isaac Heaney, the new Swans player. Uh, four game, four goals last game, so maybe he can one-up this time. Fingers crossed. And I'm actually heading to Henson Park this afternoon. It's Ladies' Day at Henson Park, so I'll be cheering on the Jets. Oh, great. Then I'll be heading home to watch the Giants and then there's a big day of rugby league tomorrow and I'm really looking forward to the game between the Knights and the Sharks. I think the Sharks will be too strong, but maybe friend of the podcast, Nathan Ross, can score a try. Yeah, hope so. Fingers crossed. And that's week. That's this week's episode done and dusted. Make sure you listen to us, Have a leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe and, and send me your feedback. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. Australia
Ladies and ladies.